0: Hey, everybody, it's Andrea. Before we start today's show, I have a super quick announcement to share with all of you. Beginning in April, I'm gonna be launching a series of college-to-career live weekend boot camps to help graduating seniors as well as juniors who are confused about what jobs or careers they might wanna pursue when they graduate. So imagine going from confused to confident with at least three different career options you'd be psyched to explore by the end of day one of the bootcamp, and then learning the tools, tactics, and the strategies to find those jobs by the end of day two. The bootcamp is live, and it's led by me over Zoom, and you can learn more about it at College to Career Academy. That's college, the number two, career. Dot academy, Or you can just look me up on LinkedIn and check out the featured section of my LinkedIn page. I can't imagine a better graduation gift for the college students in your life. Thanks so much for listening. And I know you're going to enjoy my next incredible guest. Hi there. I'm Andrea Koppel and it's time for coffee the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're interested in learning how to become a brand powerhouse on LinkedIn, then this is the episode for you. Because my next guest started building her brand on LinkedIn In November 2018, and as of this recording, on January the 5th of 2021, she has over 750,000 followers. Oh my God. And she generates more than 25 million shares a month on LinkedIn. But before I introduce you to Shanae Moray, the co-founder of MedSnake Media, that's kind of a tongue twister, and founder of Growth Academy, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's T4C's newsletter that features career advice and insights and inspiration that you won't find anywhere else. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four Coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. Now, my latte loving LinkedIn fans, please grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my wonderful next guest is the brand powerhouse, Shanae Moray, co-founder of MedSnake Media and founder of Growth Academy on LinkedIn. She is also the host of the top 100 podcast, Growthpreneur.
1: Shanae, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I love it. I am. And thank you so much for the invitation. You have like oh the God. best podcast voice, for real.
0: <laughs> you are so sweet. Well, you know I used to be a journalist, and I started in radio, and then I moved into TV, so I really appreciate that, but I think the voice was thanks to God, not me, or not my, not my background.
1: I want to also wish you a Happy New Year. I know, right? We're in 2021. And you,
0: Shanae Morey, are my very first guest. Oh, I feel, I feel
1: honored. That's awesome.
0: Well, before we get into what you are doing now as a badass woman entrepreneur heading up Growth Academy and as a co-partner and CEO of MedSnake Media and, of course, is the host of your new podcast, Growthpreneurs. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I thought we could flash back a few years, Shanae, because that's really all it's been.
1: Yeah, I know. It's kind of insane when when I think about it, a lot has my life has changed a lot in two, three years.
0: Just two or three years ago, you weren't a household name the way you are now, for anyone, frankly, who spends even five minutes on LinkedIn. Because you're everywhere. You're everywhere. And frankly, your roots, your backstory is what you draw from. In your posts, and first and foremost, you're a stage four cancer survivor, which I'm going to ask you about. Yeah. Secondly, you're a single mom. Mm -hmm. You got a four-year-old daughter, Liv. Yeah. Third, you're Latina.
1: I am Latina.
0: (laughs) Your grandfather came to Miami from Cuba, and you've written about how he gave up his job as an engineer, and he arrived in South Florida. With just basically the shirt on his back and $100 in his pocket, all to make a better life for his family. Yeah. And then fourth, and not least, you've really struggled personally. You're a woman who's in her late 20s now. Mm -hmm. And just a few years ago, you were one of the millions of working poor, of single moms in the U.S., Mm-hmm. who were accepting food stamps.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely correct.
0: Have I missed anything in your rags to riches story here?
1: No, that's pretty, you you hit on a lot of things. And that, I mean, that's what I want people to know. Like if they just change simple things, if they change the people they surround them, themselves with, their actions, their life can change a lot in two years.
0: So how did you change the people that you surrounded yourself with.
1: Well, that's like the hardest part, right? <laughs> so, I before I did that, I really changed my routine and like my habits. I spent a lot less time, let's say, watching Netflix or hanging out with friends or just wasting time and a lot more time doing things that would make me money. So, in the beginning, I was just freelance writing. And I knew I had to build a portfolio to get like higher paying clients because I was charging in the beginning. I charged nothing. I would reach out to some professionals on LinkedIn and say, "Hey, if I write a blog for your company or if I write an article for your company, could you give me a recommendation?" I did that for about five people, built my portfolio on their recommendations, and had those writing samples. And then I went from there and started charging, you know, fifty dollars a blog or or a hundred dollars an article until maybe six months later, I was getting $5,000 retainers, like as the norm. And then that's when I co-founded Medicine Media. So it was really just, I mean, I had an infant. I had like a, you know, she was less than one years old at the time, like a a baby. And I had to schedule my work around her. She wasn't in school. And sometimes I would have to stay up to like two, three in the morning writing and just honing my skills.
0: You also write a lot about what it's like to be one of those job seekers who is ignored, Mm -hmm. rejected,
1: overlooked. Mm -hmm. Did that used to be you? A hundred percent. Like in college, they did not prepare me at all. For applying for jobs, like they would just say, go to these job boards, like maybe reach out to a recruiter, blah, blah, blah. But that never worked for me. And actually, my first job when I left college was through a friend. Like I've never actually gotten a job, like applying somewhere and blah, blah, blah. So I always tell people, like, your best chance at getting a job, and this is statistics, is not. Going on overcrowded job boards, submitting your resume, it's through networking. It's through building relationships with people because that referral will really help. You also
0: talk about giving job seekers without experience a chance. 100%. And you wrote on Instagram, never judge a book by its cover. This was a post in June 2020. Mm -hmm. You said, don't judge people where they were because you never know who they can become. And when I read those posts, Shanae, and not just the posts on Instagram, but the posts that you make today on LinkedIn, am I wrong in sensing anger? Because oh, no. I feel, I feel like you're kind of channeling the real, the deep disappointment, the pain, the anger and the frustration that you felt as a young person and that young people all around the country in this world are feeling today?
1: I wouldn't say it's anger, but I would say it's kind of just like opening people's eyes. I feel like a lot of people with titles and positions, I mean, they learned in 2020, right? But they kind of sit on their high horse and they look down on like the younger generation that may not have experience. And what they're rudely realizing is that a 20 3-year-old with TikTok can make 10 times more than them and they have no experience. So like the social media channels have really changed the game and I feel like sometimes people with those type of positions are seeing that and kind of take it out on the younger generation because they didn't have that opportunity at their age.
0: And do you think that there's elitism like oh, around 100%. schools and around who you know like an old boys club kind of a thing.
1: I think it's better now than like it was like when I graduated high school. So I graduated high school in 2009 and like there was a ton of elitism there where basically like if you didn't go to an Ivy League school, you didn't matter. But now it's completely different. You know, sometimes not going to Ivy League school is beneficial, sometimes not going to school, period. I mean, there's people that don't go to college and they're making seven figures already. So I think that social media, because it's uh, basically free entry point has really leveled the playing field, but you have to put in the work.
0: Oh my God. A hundred (laughs) percent. A hundred percent. How much time do you put into your social posting now?
1: Less now, but in the beginning, I would spend like two to three hours a day on LinkedIn, like in the beginning, the first six months, because The way I saw it was like, okay, if I spend, it's like, it was a job for me, you know, it was like my job. So if I had to spend three hours on LinkedIn to get five new clients that month at, let's say a $2,000 retainer or whatever, then it would be worth it because I'd be making more than just clocking into a nine to five and sitting there for eight hours.
0: Shanae, I want to flashback a little farther to when you were a child. Mm -hmm. How old were you? when you were diagnosed with stage four cancer and what kind of cancer was it?
1: So I was around five years old and it was bilateral Wilms tumor. So that's basically a bunch of tumors in both kidneys and went through chemotherapy and basically lived in and out of Jackson Memorial Hospital, Miami for several years on and off. So how
0: old were you when you were, I don't know, cured or what you would call it?
1: I mean, like there was so many like on and off moments. But by the time I was like 13, they basically like had me completely in the clear. You know what I mean? Like I still had to go to like six month checkups and like they would have to check my kidneys. But it was basically clear after that.
0: So eight years. Yeah, it was a long time. I read a post of yours on Medium in which you talked about how you got started. Mm -hmm. with copywriting and you wrote that it was because when you were sick Mm -hmm. you were in bed yeah a lot and you spent a lot of time reading and a lot of time writing what were Mm -hmm. you writing about
1: like back then it was just like fiction stuff like I thought I was gonna be like a fiction writer I, I just liked the exercise of writing just creating something from nothing I didn't like just to read and then just not do anything with it so I just like to write. Uh, I would make up stories. I would write maybe about my day. I never kept like a journal, but I would just write a bunch of stuff.
0: My mom was about your age mm-hmm. when she was diagnosed with something called perthes disease. What is and that? It's a very, it's fortunately, it's not really around in the US at all. It's a disease where your I think the hip bones but it could be other bones in your body become soft. So it couldn't support her body. And her parents were really poor and they put her in what they call back then a crippled children's hospital. Hmm. And they didn't have enough money to like visit her regularly. And she was a couple hours train ride away from them. And so she lived there and the nuns, basically raised her. And there were kids who were in iron lungs, like the machines that came up to their neck. She was there for four years. How did being sick at such a young age and for so long affect you in a positive way?
1: I realized that we're all going to die. <laughs> like I know that sounds terrible, but I realized that like life is short. And so I had to do everything I could to help as many people as possible like with the time that I had and like knowing that just like this innate knowing at a young age because you like I have a picture where I'm like with standing with like maybe like 20 other kids that were like in the same ward I guess as me and none of them survived except for me in that picture so like knowing that's like okay like You have like this innate faith and intuition and kind of like desire to serve the world. Like knowing as you're growing up at a young age that like not everyone gets the opportunity to live this long.
0: Do you think there's a reason why you were the only one who survived?
1: There may be like a, a divine reason. I can't answer that. But one of the main things actually that was different with me is that my grandma would feed me like, she came from Cuba. So her thing was like, she did not want me to lose weight during chemo because when, and and it actually makes perfect sense because when you actually study why a lot of cancer patients die, they don't always die from cancer. They die from something called cachexia, which is basically malnutrition because they don't want to eat from the chemotherapy or radiation and stuff like that. So they get extremely skinny and their body can't fight the disease like that. And I was actually one of the only ones that gained weight during chemo. Of what she was feeding me, and like, and I didn't lose all of my hair. Like, I had like kind of lived there, blondish a little bit, and it turned pitch black. It turned thin. It changed, but I didn't go completely bald, and I didn't lose weight. And a lot of the other parents were like, "What are you doing? Like, what are you feeding her?" You know what I mean? But my grandma what was she feeding you. She was feeding me. Like, she would go to the butcher, I guess. And she only speaks Spanish. So the way she would ex- explain it is like she would go to the butcher and get like, I guess, like a piece of the cow or something. And then she would like put it in like a, s- a stew for like several hours. And the- basically she was getting like juice from the bone marrow. And then she would like take that and put it with like raw eggs and like a bunch of vegetables and all this stuff and then do like a shake. And they would like force me to drink it and then a bunch of uh the pink pediatrician they would, they had me filled up. They oh. didn't want me to lose weight because she just felt innately that if I got extremely skinny I was going to, you know, die and so she prevented that.
0: So I want to also flash forward now. At age 13, you were clear. Mm-hmm. And I guess what about 18? Were you 18 when you went to college? Yeah. And you started off I believe at Eckerd College mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with double major in biology and philosophy or was mm-hmm. it a major in biology and a minor in philosophy
1: No it was a double major and it was actually in botany Oh botany Yeah they they had this like botany program and it was amazing like I guess because of the cancer experience I was always interested in plants because some of them have like medicinal properties. So there was an amazing botany professor there from Brazil, and I really connected with her. And so I was studying botany for a little bit. I love it.
0: And then you transferred Mm -hmm. to FAU, to Florida Atlantic University, Mm -hmm. where you studied, you also had a double major. You got a BA or at least studied for a BA because you ended up leaving school before you graduated in psychology
1: and philosophy. Did you
0: have any idea what you were gonna do with that degree when you graduated?
1: Well, my mom's a psychologist, so I wasn't sure if I was gonna open my own practice like her. Or just like, you know, psychology was very intriguing to me. Like, I like studying people and like knowing their motivations and stuff. And I would suggest for any marketing major to actually not study marketing, but to study psychology because the principles are the same. And like, you could learn new technical tools and stuff, but I feel like psychology, the basic human nature doesn't really change. So that's what my recommendation would be. And then there was an amazing philosophy department at FAU Honors College. So I'm really happy that I got in contact with the professors there and stuff.
0: So you were telling me before we started recording that you ended up dropping out because Mm -hmm. you got a job offer. Can you
1: tell our listeners about that? Yeah, I got an offer. Well, I knew somebody that like knew somebody at Audi. And I went through like an extensive interview process because... The position they had wasn't just marketing. It was like related to like psychology marketing. And that was really intriguing to me because that's basically what I wanted to do. It was like an apartment where you use psychology and marketing to bring in more customers. So I got the opportunity and then I started, you know, working there and I loved it. You
0: were telling me also some of the techniques that you use.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Could you
0: share that? Because you were so clever.
1: Yeah, it was simple. So, what I realized was like, they would, our job was basically to, they provided us with leads. And then we weren't the salespeople, but our job was to like bring the people to the dealers so that the salespeople could then like sell them the car or whatever. And I noticed that like everyone else was just, the lead would come in, they would fill out the form, I guess, on the website. And then like somebody would just email them and, The response rate was low. You know, none of us want to reply to like those dealer emails. People like hate car dealers to begin with. So I don't care if, even if it's a luxury car dealer, like I can't stand in car dealers personally. But I started texting people. So if, let's say, a woman wanted a Q5, which is like their SUV, I would like text her and let's say she wanted red, like in her contact form or whatever. I'd go take a quick video or picture of the red car. And I'd be like, hey, like, do you have like 15 minutes today or whatever?" And like, I'd make sure it was at the front. Like if they had kids, I make sure that there was a uh, car seats in the car. Like I made the experience super easy for them so that they didn't have like those objections. And then like the process worked so well that the sales guys started fighting over like who my leads were going to. So they actually had to implement a new like point system for the sales guys so that there was no like bias or preferential treatment. Cause like at first I was obviously giving the leads to my friends, the people that I had the best relationships with. And then the other ones got jealous and it was just a mess, but it worked really well. And in my first 90 days, they went from like the worst in the state to number three in the state.
0: Unbelievable. So mm-hmm. your leads converted.
1: Oh, 100%. Like not 100%, but like they were the highest converting. That's why the sales guys wanted them. So
0: how did you go from marketing in an Audi dealer Mm -hmm. to launching MedSnake Media, which you did in December 2018 with your co-founders?
1: Yeah. So in that intermediary process, I was actually offered double the money at kind of like this tiny healthcare startup in Fort Lauderdale and it was closer to my family and I had lived already by that point so I was like okay I took it and like Audi was fun but like being in a dealer it's heavy like male energy and it's kind of like hanging out with 20 brothers all day <laughs> yep so I was just like I need something a little bit more chill and whatever so and I loved healthcare. So I really just wanted to learn more about the healthcare space and bring my marketing expertise over there. So I worked there a little bit, learned about healthcare, stuff like that. And then that didn't go so well because that's when I was kind of given, Liv got sick and I was given that ultimatum by that boss. To Could base- you share that in case folks aren't yeah. familiar with that post that you've made? Yeah. So my daughter got sick and she was in the hospital for about 12 days. And around the 12th day, this boss was like, hey, basically, like, you're going to come back to work or you're going to lose your job. And I was like, well, I'm staying with Liv. And then that's when I was like, okay, like, I don't want to just go do marketing and another job and drop Liv off 12 days, 12 hours out of the day at daycare or whatever. I want to be with her. And so that's when I went all in into freelance writing. This was probably about six months before launching MedSnake. And got a few freelance clients from LinkedIn, but I wasn't posting yet. In November of 2018, I started posting. And then that's when like I met my co-founder, Courtney, because she saw one of my videos. And then a couple months later, what we realized was that people in healthcare they want convenience. And what was happening is they needed a vendor for website development, for you know, PR, they needed a vendor for Billing, credentialing, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, why don't we just? And she, she kept referring people to me because once their billing was set up, they needed patients to bill for. So they kept asking her, Do you know anything about marketing? So she just kept referring people to me. And I was like, Okay, there's obviously a need here. Let's like join forces and just be like a growth agency for healthcare, healthcare facilities, long term nursing, long term care facilities, stuff like that. And I, I, researched and there wasn't really anything like it. And we did great. So we launched MedSaint Media January of 2019, officially. That's when we filed the paperwork, I think. And then went full into that. It was great.
0: That reminds me of another story that another guest of mine, whose episode hasn't launched yet. His name is Steve Remland. He's a platinum winning songwriter, composer. And when he was a little kid, he's basically Mm -hmm. a music prodigy. Mm -hmm. He lived in New Haven, Connecticut, which is where Yale is. Mm -hmm. And so he got to have Yale, and they apparently have an amazing music school there. Yale professors teach him as a kid. And one of his teachers said to him, Steve, there are only 12 notes. Yeah, It's what you do with those notes that makes the yeah, music, It's true. It's true. So I know that you're hundreds of thousands of fans of people in your community, and I include myself in <laughs> that mix, want to learn more about how you went from zero connections, Shanae, just a few years ago. Yeah, to yeah. a little over two years ago. Mm-hmm. To someone who today has over 750,000 followers on LinkedIn. And I'm going to ask you about Growth Academy in just a few minutes. But how did you start
1: building your followers? Could you break it down for I Yeah. So I didn't go into creating content with that intention. Like people are like, did you start with the intention of building a personal brand? No, I started with the intention of like getting business. So I wanted to see if like posting videos was going to generate business. And what I realized like within the the first month was that people were contacting me. I didn't have to rely on outbound strategy that much anymore. Because before I was just cold messaging. I wasn't creating content. So it would be a battle by the time I got on the phone with a cold message person, I would have to convince them of my value to work with me. And it was just like a constant struggle, exhausting, just to get like more clients. So when I started creating content, I realized that after a month, people were coming to me. They were asking me about like, hey, how much are your services? What packages do you have? And by the time I got on the phone with them, it wasn't taking me three weeks of follow-up to close a deal. It was taking me like three days, maybe, or, or the same day. So... Once I saw those results, I just doubled down. And in the first year, I only grew 50,000 followers. So in the beginning of 2020, I had around 55,000 followers. And I, you know, it was like a tipping point by February. Yeah. By late January of uh, 2020, I had a post that went viral. A month later, I had another post that went viral. Somebody also on LinkedIn screenshot that post and shared it to Facebook it then got like 250,000 shares on Facebook. So from the beginning of January, 2020, I had like 55,000 followers. By February 1st, I had 100,000. And then- What
0: for- was the post, Sinead?
1: It was the Gen Z post.
0: I don't know that post.
1: It, it's a post that like so many people have replicated since then, but I was basically saying, hey, it was a post that like people keep Spinning, like give people a chance. It was like the first one that I ever did. And what I realized was I thought it did well because like Gen Z was sharing it. But it wasn't that like a lot of people like my mom's age were sharing it, talking about their mentors or first bosses that gave them a chance so like hit both generations and that's why it went viral but then after february i just kept the momentum up so instead of growing maybe 10,000 followers a month then i started growing like 50,000 or 60,000 a month and until you know a full year
0: do you think there's a formula to hitting the tipping point when the floodgates open and then followers start coming on board in the tens of thousands
1: it's just like I I wish I could say there was, but there's really not because I helped Christopher Hummel do the same thing. He went from 5,000 followers to almost half a million followers in a year, but he never had, he hasn't really had that virality. For him, it's just been like more consistent. So when we look at the metrics, it's like, you don't need to go viral to grow like that. But when most people are posting 30 times, maybe every three months, you know, we do 30 times the first month, 60 times the second month, 90 times the third month, and then just keep that, that momentum. So if you're posting like 10 times more on average than somebody, just your chances of reaching more people and of maybe going viral's increase exponentially, you know? So
0: we are now, as we've already said, in January of 2021. hmm Right after that first viral post happened, you've got the coronavirus, right? Yeah. yeah. When did you start or decide to start your next venture, the Growth Academy? And for those who may not be familiar with GA, and I should say with full transparency that I'm a member of GA, which is how you and I met, how did you come to say, I want to start this next venture?
1: Yeah. So it was really demand because at that point I was just doing like a done for you service for businesses where they would pay like five ten thousand $10,000 a month. We would do everything though. We would do the copywriting, the videos, position several people in their companies as influencers on LinkedIn. They didn't have to do anything. We would do the outbound messaging. But when the pandemic hit, a lot of individuals started to message me and be like, Hey, do you have like a program or course that I could learn how to do it. And at first I was just like, it's just a couple of people. But then I started getting like 30 or 40 messages a week, I guess because of my following, they assumed I had one. And I was like, okay, well, people really need this. And obviously like an individual doesn't want a done for you service, like we're offering it. So that's when I put growth academy together.
0: And how did you know how to build a course? Had you ever done something like that before?
1: Never. And all the studios were closed. <laughs> so I did it in the in the other house's home office. But like I know how to grow on LinkedIn. So I just did an outline and I was like, okay, like what are the most important things people have to know? And I separated the, you know, the sections. And then I just filmed the videos, had my video editor edit it. And I needed to get something out there to help people. So I was like, okay, like if it fails miserably, then it's not my thing. But if it helps people, then I could always go back to a studio and do like a 2.0, you know, more professional take on this. But I didn't just want it to be a course because I also looked at the metrics and a lot of people don't open the courses they buy, they don't finish them. There's no accountability. So that's why we added the community aspect of it in Slack. That's why there's live trainings every week and and stuff like that it helps you know get people better results when you say you
0: were looking at the metrics mm-hmm. where where are those metrics
1: just online i was doing research like on like course courses like what are the percentage of people that actually like finish courses what are like the like objections or negative things about courses and so i collected that research and i was like okay i'm going to do it different
0: i'm super curious to know chenae because I'm kind of blown away by the fact that you are everywhere and I want to learn from you how you manage your time. Because not only are you messaging and engaging with students on Growth Academy, on the Slack Mm -hmm. you mentioned, but you're posting multiple times a day on LinkedIn and on Instagram and you just (laughs) announced you're moving to Clubhouse and you're going to start something on Facebook. I know, right? Do you do all of your own posts now, or do you get some social media support from others on your team?
1: So I do the posts, but like the video editing, I don't do anymore. Like the podcast, audio editing, no. But like I do, I do physically post and I'm actually on Facebook and Instagram, gonna have a team do it. But yeah, for LinkedIn, I still do it. It's it's not it's like second nature to me already cuz it's like a habit, you know what I mean?
0: So what's your when do you do it? And any tips on time management that you can offer our young listeners?
1: Say no to everything that's not going to help you make money or help you reach your goals cuz that's a lot of a lot of people's main problem is they don't have boundaries. So they say yes to everything and they don't say yes to the right things and that's something that I even had to learn this year. Like, I've had to turn down so many meetings just because I've been focused on growing Growth Academy and stuff. So, and had to delegate and stuff like that. But just focus, like, write down the top three things you do every single day that actually produce income and do more of that and less of everything else. Excellent. Before we
0: get to the two final time for coffee questions that I ask all my guests, Shanae, I asked some of my LinkedIn followers to let me know what questions I should ask you. And there Mm -hmm. were a bunch of posts. Mark Asbill, I'm pronouncing his name correctly, had this question. When there doesn't seem to be a clear way to provide value to a new LinkedIn connection, how do you come up with a way to provide value anyway?
1: Well, the easiest way to do that is to like and comment on their stuff and to endorse them because that's like that you're providing value, you're helping their content reach more people. Sims Tillerson wants to know, if you were to restart your entrepreneurial
0: journey with the knowledge that you have now, what would you do differently?
1: I would do everything I did in English and Spanish as well. Because I know that I've left so much money on the table by not growing my Spanish audience the way that I should have. Amazing. (laughs) Jeff Clark wants to know
0: what the important quality is that you want to see in a new hire and a new partner.
1: Integrity. So especially in a new hire, I, let's say I know that they don't know how to do Adobe editing and that they only know Canva. I'll set up a question where it's like, hey, do you also know how to do Adobe editing? If they lie, then they're not getting hired. Because if they lie about something small, they'll lie about something big.
0: And what about with partners, a prospective partner?
1: It's all about trust. For me, like I can't even break it down. It's just intuition. It's watching how they move for a few months. It's seeing how they deal with money, how they communicate. But one of the things that I recommend for if you're in your 20s is to get an older partner. So I think that that's helped me because they're, they don't want to be the face of the, the, the company. And like, I'm good with the social stuff. And then they're better with operations and money. They have more experience and stuff like that. So I recommend, I think that it's a good balance when you have like, let's say 45 year old and then somebody in their twenties.
0: Excellent. Two super quick questions. Mm-hmm. I will have you done before 12. <laughs> Could you share a time in your professional life when you struggled. Maybe you even failed, which frankly, I see as a badge of honor, and we need mm-hmm. to break the stigma around it. But at a time when you failed, and the most important thing, Shanae, is how you persevered, and if there was a lesson you learned in the process.
1: Yeah, I I I fail like every day. Um, uh, I would say like, trying to fit in with corporate culture. You know, when I was in my early 20s, like, I saw my friends getting $80,000 jobs and I was just like, eh, like I could get one, but it's not really what I wanted to do. So I, I tried to fit into that world for too long when I should have left sooner.
0: Last question. If you could go back to college and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself?
1: I would leave. (laughs) I would, I would, I would find the most successful people in my city. And even if I had to borrow the same amount of money that college cost me, I would get into masterminds and I would learn from the entrepreneurs. Because even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, like you're going to have a better chance of even getting a job because they know everyone that owns companies. So it's all about access. And the more successful people you have access to, the more opportunity you have access to.
0: Speaking of successful people, a couple of years ago you were reading Ten X Rule by mm-hmm. Grant Cardone. Yeah. And this week you interviewed
1: Yeah Grant Cardone. It was, it was emotional. I don't get emotional often, but like I was just like, wow. Like it's almost come like full circle, you know? Like you just see the the fruits of your labor for the past two years and Now it was it was uh, surreal. So I don't know. I'm just extremely grateful, but it's still like I feel like it's just the beginning for me, and I want to help as many people as possible. So thank you so much for letting me share my story on your platform.
0: Shanae Moray is the co-founder of MedSnake Media, the CEO as well. She is the founder of Growth Academy and the host of the Growthpreneurs podcast, please check it out. Shanae, I wanna thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the t for c community. I wish you continued success and I can't wait to see you get to a million followers.
1: Thank you so much, Andre, I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee,
0: where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee.